We'll be reading from today's passage, which is James 1, 18 through 25. If you'd like to turn to uh, the passage in your pew Bible, it is on page 1011. So again, this is James 1, 18 through 25. Please listen now to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful good news of the gospel that Jesus' wounds have paid our ransom. He has set us free through his life, death, and his resurrection. And Father, as we prepare to sit beneath your word, we, we do pray that you would help us, that you would pour out your spirit in order that even as James says, we would not be hearers only of this word, but also doers, and that we would have the gospel applied to us again and afresh this very day. Father, would you be so kind to meet us where we are, to meet those of us who are anxious and worried or angry or thankful to be here with many doubts or convinced of the truth of the gospel. Would you meet us all today to remind us that we're all really the same. We are all far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so we find ourselves in need of the good news of the gospel this morning, to be reminded that because of Jesus' person and His work, Not only are we far more broken than we could ever imagine, but we are also far more loved and accepted and secure than we could have ever dared dream possible. So, Father, take us to this good news in Jesus. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Please be seated. And children ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to your children's church this morning. So, if you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to your class. Um, This morning, we're continuing our uh, Sunday morning series in the fall through the book of James, and we're in that passage that Steve read for us earlier from James chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And when you look at those verses, you'll see that they're really all about um, our relationship to God's Word. What do you think about the Bible? How do you relate to God's Word? What is your relationship with God's Word? Um, What's your posture towards God's Word? And we're going to open that up in a moment, but James is saying here in these verses 
that God's words bring life and freedom to His people. Um, And let me set this up for you a little bit by telling you two things that I experienced uh, this summer. Um, And the first is this, and this is a big deal. This is the first summer that all of my children know how to swim. And it's, it's huge. It is, it, it's huge. It's a big deal because now when we go to the community pool or maybe somebody invites us over to go swim at their pool at their house, I'm not a nervous wreck worried about my kids, whether they will drown or not. Now they can swim, and I have saved hundreds of dollars um, this summer. Um, and it has nothing to do with the, the swimming lessons we got our kids. It all has to do with my iPhone, because I've lost two iPhones going into pools to save drowning children. Um, now, <clears throat> and, and listen, it, it's all because kids, they don't naturally know how to swim. You have to teach them how to swim. That's why we paid for all those swimming lessons that we got them, right? Um, They have to learn it. It doesn't come naturally to them. And I want you to contrast that experience of great freedom for us, right, that all our kids have finally learned how to swim with the Turkey family dog. Um, Our dog is a Labrador retriever, and she's about 10 months old, and This summer, we took her to the lake for the very first time, and my kids, after years of their own swimming lessons, right, they were nervous. They were concerned about the dog. You know, how are we going to teach her to swim is what they were asking. And so I explained, here's what's really, really cool about dogs, and especially labs. They already know how to swim, even if they haven't been in the water, because it's instinctual to them, right? It comes naturally to them. God made them to swim. And so there we were, we went to the lake, and the moment of truth came with the family dog, and the kids are nervous. Would she sink or swim when we put her in the water, right? And we put her in the water, and instantly she started swimming. And you can ask everyone in my family about this, because they were all there, they all saw it. When she got in to swim the very first time, she did not get out of the water for 45 minutes. For 45 minutes, she swam in circles. She was so happy to be in the water, right? I mean, that's what she was making. And it was awesome to see it because she was liberated in that moment, right? She was discovering in that moment, this is what I was made to do right? This is what I was made to be. She was experiencing the freedom of doing and being what God made her to do and be. Now listen, you were made to hear and to live under the Word of God. And when you do, this passage is telling you that you will find the liberating freedom of being and doing what God made you to be and do. The voice at the beginning of time itself, that sang the whole cosmos into being. That voice, you were made for that voice is what James is saying. Life under that voice is where you find true and real and deep freedom. And and listen, I I get that some of us might be very suspicious of that at first, because, and, and that's really okay, because it is in complete contradiction to our culture. And what our culture says to us, because our culture defines freedom as the absence of constraint, right? You're only free when you can do whatever you want to do. 
But even if you're initially suspicious, which it makes sense that you might be, I hope that you will give James a chance this morning to at least try to redefine what real true freedom is really all about. Because in this passage, he's telling us how to find the life of true and real freedom. And he does it by telling us three things. He tells us that God's Word brings life, that God's Word must be received with meekness, and that God's Word must be practiced. That's how you find its freedom, right? God's Word brings life. It must be received with meekness, and it must be practiced. So first, God's Word brings life. Now, last week, if you happen to be here, it's okay if you weren't, but last week we looked a little bit at verse 18, where God calls His people His first fruits, right? God looks at His people with such just wonderful delight, which is amazing to think about, right? That they are His dearly treasured possession, His first fruits. But this morning, our interest is really in the first part of verse 18, where it reads this, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. See, James is telling us something very unique about Christianity, something that's very unique about the essence of Christianity. He's saying becoming a Christian is not about what you do. Becoming a Christian is about something that happens to you. I mean, it's something God does for you of His own will. And here's what He did, James says. He brought us forth by the word of His truth. Right? And that's the language of birth there. Right? James was writing that to be a Christian is to experience a new birth, to experience a rebirth, to be born again, right? It's to be brought to life. See, I know how we think about some of these things. Being a born-again Christian is not a certain kind of Christian. James was saying that's the only kind of Christian there is. You can't be a Christian without this birth, right? Without being brought to life by God's Word. And here's why this is an important metaphor, not just for James, but really all throughout Scripture. Because, you know, when Peter was writing his letter to Christians, he wrote that they have been born again of imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. First Peter chapter 1. Sounds pretty familiar with our passage, right? In First John, John wrote about us being born of God. Jesus, in John chapter 3, spoke to Nicodemus and was telling Nicodemus that he needed to be born again or born from a above just to see, let alone enter the kingdom of God. Now listen, it's a great metaphor all throughout Scripture because just like your natural birth, you had nothing to do with it, is what the Bible is saying. It's something that happened to you, and that's incredibly humbling and freeing at the same time, liberating. You know you've been born again when you stop listening to the preaching or stop reading God's Word as just bare information. And God brings you to life by making His Word real to you. He brings you to life when you hear for the first time that this is His Word to you. Right? That His Son came and lived and died and was raised from the dead because of His great love for you. When you hear those words for you personally... That is because God is bringing you to life in Jesus. You know, if there are videos, and there are a lot of them, um, that I'm a sucker for on the internet, it's got to be 
the ones where uh, you're, it, the video are ta- or videos are taken in the doctor's office, right, of these deaf patients that receive these cochlear ear implants. Um, and I'm not going to lie because I watched several of them this week, um, and I cried every time uh, at every single video. Um, you know, there's this video of this baby uh, with a pacifier in his mouth, and he's received the implant, and as soon as he hears his mother speak for the very first time, his smile is so big, his pacifier just falls out of his mouth. He's just staring in wonder and amazement to hear his mother's voice the first time. Uh, this woman who is trying to control herself because she knows the video is being taken, but she cannot help but weep for joy when she hears for the first time. This huge, tough-muscled guy in one of these videos, right? He just becomes a puddle of tears when he hears his wife's voice for the first time. Right? This, the moment this wife hears her husband for the very first time in her life say, I love you. And if you don't cry at those, I'm, I'm getting a little teary right now just talking about them. If you don't cry at those, we need to talk because something is probably wrong with you. Um, but listen, that voice, that voice that sang the universe into being, the voice of the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the voice of the one who measures the seas in the hollow of his hand and weighs the mountains on a balance, to hear that voice proclaim his unstopping, unbreakable, and forever love for you in Jesus, that is to be brought to life and set free. And it's incredibly humbling and incredibly freeing for you to realize that you had nothing to do with that birth, that it was of God's own will that he brought you forth by the word of his truth. Listen, you, you can decide to start doing the Buddhism thing, or you can decide to start doing the Islam thing or the Hindu thing or whatever you want. You, you, all you've got to do is adopt some practices, maybe a different set of clothes in your wardrobe, um, you know, some different eating practices, eating certain foods, adopt a particular culture, and you're there. You're in. Right? But Christianity doesn't work like that. It's completely different from every major world religion that is out there. You know, I hear a lot of people who start coming to church uh, after a long time, and they say, all right, I'm ready to get my life back in order. I'm ready to straighten things out and get on the right track, and I'm going to start doing the Christian thing. Listen, they're treating Christianity like it's Buddhism or Islam, right? And after a few weeks, they become so disillusioned that they, they walk away, and you wonder where did that person go? Listen, it, they, they're missing this, that Christianity isn't about what you do. It's about something that happens to you by God's grace, right? And, and that might be where some of you are this morning. And I would encourage you, please don't leave. You've got to stay here, and you've got to pray that God would open your heart and open your ears to hear Him proclaim His love for you in Jesus. Don't leave without that happening. Listen, I, I kind of that got me off on a tangent a little bit, but here's the humbling freedom of not, uh, of not being a part of this birth and being brought to life 
by God's word um, and not by anything you do. Because, listen, if you had nothing to do with this new life, if you weren't saved by being good or by being smart or by being right or whatever, then you can't ever look down on anybody else, right? It's all by grace, and that's incredibly humbling. And if you aren't saved by being good or right or smart or whatever, then it really and truly, it does not matter who you are or where you have been or what you have done, and that is unbelievably freeing, right? If you didn't earn grace by your works, then you also can't lose it by your bad works. I mean, you have been set free in the gospel. But we need to move on. Second, James tells us that God's Word must be received with meekness. Um, see, this is really important to James because he's, he's really saying something like this. Only if you go on and you continue hearing God's Word properly are you really going to grow in the experience of the freedom that is already yours in Jesus. So how do we hear it properly? James says we hear God's Word properly. We go on hearing. We continue hearing it when we receive His Word with meekness. The Word of truth, James wrote this in verse 21, it is like a seed implanted in you. And for it to grow and blossom, you have to learn how to receive God's Word with meekness. Now, I want you to pay attention to something for just a couple of minutes here. Well, I want you to pay attention to the whole thing, but dial in right here, um, because this is important and it's really cool. When you, when you first read this passage… Um, It looks really hard to follow, and here's why. In verse 18, James very clearly starts talking about the word of truth. And then in verse 21, he's very clear that he's talking again about God's word, that it needs to be received with meekness. But verses 19 and 20, they don't seem like they fit. They seem a little bit out of place. They seem like all of a sudden he jumped onto a different subject to start talking about, uh, you know, being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger and all this stuff about what anger produces and how it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. And it seems so out of place, but it's actually genius. Because, see, if we recognize that we have an anger problem Maybe that anger is expressed internally with a lot of bitterness in our lives, or or maybe it's externally, and it's expressed in kind of hostile outbursts, right? And we look at that, and we begin to think to ourselves, I've got a real self-control problem, right? And we think that because we think that self-control is the opposite of anger. But James is saying it's not. The opposite of self-control for James is humility or weakness, or not weakness, meekness. And this is incredibly insightful because if you're fuming in anger, right, or you're feeling your blood boil and you're bitter, James is saying it's because you have a pride problem. How dare that person confront me? How dare that person disappoint me again? How dare that person get in my way or deny me what I want? So angry with the circumstances of my life, so angry that that person seems to be doing well in life and doesn't have the problems that I have in my life, so arrogantly convinced that we always know what's best for us and what we deserve. Do you know what happens when you're so angry that you feel like you've been mistreated or you've not gotten your way or you felt like you've been dealt a bad hand in life. 
It becomes really hard when you're angry like that to be still and listen. When you're angry like that, it's really, really hard to be open to correction. Ask your spouse about the last time you were angry and how open to correction you were in your anger. To even be receptive to grace when you're angry, it's so difficult. Pride makes us slow to hear, and it makes us quick to speak and quick to anger. And this is an incredibly helpful diagnostic here because God is saying, look at your relationships because you can't be in your relationships controlling and unwilling to listen and never open to correction with others and then think you can come to God's Word and be meek before it. Right? What, what do your relations, relationships reveal about the disposition of your heart? He's saying, true, deep, and real gospel freedom will only grow and blossom in your life, James is saying, as you learn to come under God's Word in humility. We've got to learn to be still and meek before God's voice, he's saying. And so the question is, what is the condition of your heart? What is the disposition of your heart? Are you proud and unable to listen, or are you able to receive God's Word with meekness? Um, Some of you know that on graduation night from high school, um, I broke my neck. I actually dislocated my C3 and C4 vertebrae, which is kind of high on your neck. Um, But um, that happened. I went to the hospital, all that good stuff. Um, And they completely knocked me out for this surgery because what they had to do in the surgery, because the vertebrae jumped on top of each other like that, they had to saw a piece of this vertebrae off, pull the joint apart, and cut out a piece of my hip and put it in between that joint, wrap it up with wire so that it would fuse together, right? And so I had that surgery, and I was knocked out for it. Miracle, I survived, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a good story in a lot of ways. But, but listen, when I woke up... Um, from that surgery, um, they were putting me into a halo vest. Uh, some of you have probably seen these before. Somebody have these on, where they put these four screws. They screw them in about an eighth of an inch into your skull, I think it was. And then attached to those screws, there's this halo that goes around, halo vest. And coming attached to that halo are these poles that come down and attach to, attach to this hard vest that you have to wear so that your spine is completely immobilized and you can heal from it. Um, but here's something that I learned waking up to this procedure happening to me, right? For some reason, because it's so close to the brain or whatever, they can't do it with anesthesia. And so I was awake, and I was feeling every turn of the screw go into my skull. And needless to say, I was freaked out. Um, and I was feeling more pain in my life than I had ever experienced. And there were all these doctors standing over me, and they were holding me down, and they were telling me, don't move an inch. And they were saying, don't even make a face, because if you make a face, you're going to mess up these holes we're putting into your forehead, right? These little scars right here. Um, Now, listen, here's here's why I tell you that. It is really, really hard to be still when someone's doing surgery on you. That's why most of the time they use anesthesia, right? And James is saying, you can't be still under God's Word if you're angry and you're proud. God is this surgeon 
who takes up his word like a knife. I mean, the author of Hebrews says this, right? That it's this living, active, double-edged sword. And he takes up this knife of his word. And he comes after us because he's coming after us to heal us. And to put us back together. And to set us free and to make us what we were meant to be. Right? But he has to do this surgery to save our souls, as James wrote in verse 21 of our passage. And I'm telling you this. If you're wriggling and you're squirming on his table, if you're fighting it, you're going to make an absolute mess of what he intends to do in your life. And yet, many of us are still squirming and wriggling around on that table. And we're saying, I'm only going to believe the parts of God's Word that I really like and that are comfortable to me. And I'm going to reject everything else. I'll just ignore the parts I don't like. And if that's how you approach God's Word, how is He ever going to contradict you? How is He ever going to change you? How is He ever going to heal you? That's not a relationship at all, right? Any real personal relationship is going to confront you and challenge you and heal you. So the question is, how do you humble yourself and receive with meekness God's Word? You have got to remind yourself of the gospel regularly. You have got to learn how to preach the gospel to yourself Monday through Saturday in the trenches of life. And I would suggest this to you. Try this the next time you find yourself getting angry with your boss or your coworkers or your children or your spouse or your parents or whoever. Remind yourself in that moment that the gospel says that you are not better than anyone else in this world. Remind yourself in that moment that you were so broken and so lost that only the death of God himself could save you. And that's exactly what he did for you, right? He left his own uninterrupted glory at the Father's right hand to take on flesh and die in your place. And because of that, you are the dearly beloved son or daughter of the King of kings who simply by the power of his voice calls everything into being. And here's what I'm saying. The more that becomes real to you, the more humble you will become and the harder it will be for you to become proud and angry. And the more that becomes real to you, the easier it will be for you to lay still on God's operating table as he takes up his word in order to heal you and do you good and make you what you were meant to be. Okay, third and finally, in this passage, in verses 22 through 25, we see that God's word must be practiced. James wrote, be doers of the word, not hearers only, uh, deceiving yourselves. The little parable illustration that he has in there, when you first read it, it just, it kind of seems ridiculous even, right? Why even look in the mirror if you're not going to do anything about it, uh, right? Why look in the mirror if you're not going to comb your hair, do anything about that blemish, or start exercising to lose that beer gut? And that's just me. You have your own things that you got to deal with when you look through the mirror. But, but the point of, is that this mirror is here to tell you what you're really like, right? Look, if you're going to find real freedom and liberty, you have to see what you're really like, to see who you are now, to see what you were meant to be. Now, now let's slow down and think about this word deceiving in verse 22, just for a second here. That word deceiving, I, I think that word keeps showing up for James because I think James is thinking in his mind about the Bible's story of Adam and Eve when they were deceived by the serpent. What was the nature of that deception? 
if you think about it. The serpent came and basically said something like this. If you really want to be free, if you really want to be like God, if you want to be your own God even, so that you can say what's wrong and what's right, then you've got to get out from under the control of this tyrant who is keeping good things from you. Real freedom, he was saying, is the absence of any constraints on your life. And so they took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, as you read your Bible, you will see that all true and all real freedom was lost in that moment. Sin, guilt, shame, hiding, ruin, and misery, God's good world that he created was coming apart at the seams, slavery and death. They were banished from the garden, and there was an angel put there with a flashing, fiery sword, barring the way back to the tree of life in the garden. See, the real deception of our world is to think that you become free when you're free to do whatever you want. Let me ask you, how has that worked out practically in your life? Right, for you. I mean, with all of our addictions to different substances, uh, or to workaholism, or to the need of everyone's approval around us, we keep thinking, this will be freedom if I get this. And we're enslaved to the substances we hope are going to numb our pain. And we're enslaved to keeping up with the neighbors. And we're enslaved to climbing the rungs of success in our career. And we're enslaved to everyone's opinions of everyone's opinion of us. Right? L- listen, to our modern ears, law and freedom, they seem antagonistic to one another. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher last century, he once wrote, we always tend in our folly to consider things as antithesis, which were meant to be complementary. And God's law and gospel freedom, James is telling you, they are meant to be complementary in your life. You're going to grow tired of hearing the word paradox as we go through James because it's really, it's everywhere in James. Listen, when he says the law of liberty, that's a paradox, right? How can liberty come when you're under the law? How can the law be liberty? You are only free, James is saying, when you are doing and being what God made you to do and be. This is how you grow to experience true gospel freedom. You put God's Word into practice in your life. And listen, that is hard work for us. It's really hard work because all of us in this room, we have inherited the suspicions of Adam and Eve. Right? Deep within our hearts, we are suspicious. We're suspicious that He doesn't really love us and that He doesn't really mean to do us good in life. See, this little parable of the mirror, mirror that James gave us, he was comparing God's Word to a mirror to, show, to say, this is what you're really like. You look into this mirror to see what you're really like. And we, we understand that. But the point of this parable isn't to say, look in the mirror and then make some changes and leave. The point of this parable, James is saying, is you need to take this mirror with you wherever you go in life. Always with you so that you're always reminded about who you are. Because he's saying this mirror reveals reality. And of course, it reveals your brokenness, your fallenness, your sin. It shows us that we are more broken than we could ever imagine, right? But over and over, this mirror also shows you another reality, one that you and I are 
prone to forget and to wander away from because this mirror shows you that God declares His love for you. I mean, over and over again, it's saying that you are more loved than you could ever dream possible. And only, and I'm telling you, only when that truth becomes real to your heart will you find the freedom to practice God's Word and do and be what you were made to be. You are a dearly loved sinner. You are a cherished mess. You are a broken beauty whom your Father absolutely loves, even as He loves His own Son. Now, let me end with a very brief illustration and then just three very brief practical points of application. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fell. And when they fell, they were banished from the garden. And as we said just a moment ago, God placed this angel there with a flaming, flashing sword of judgment, barring the way to the tree of life. And you know what God was communicating with that picture there? He was saying the only way for you to come to the tree of life now that sin has entered His world is through the fiery sword of God's justice, His perfect and holy justice. And here's the gospel in a nutshell. God's fiery sword of justice fell on Jesus for you at the cross. He took your place. You were so wicked, there was no other way. But you were also so loved that He gladly took your place. Take that picture, James is saying, that mirror with you, and you will find freedom to obey, to practice God's Word, because it's that picture. It is that picture of Jesus dying for you that will begin to dismantle the deep suspicions of your heart that God doesn't really love you and doesn't really care for you or want to do you good, right? Because does He love you? Look at Jesus, whom He sent for you. Is He good to you? Look at what He did for you in His Son upon the cross. So here are my three bits of application. First, search the Scriptures. You do that by regularly hearing God's Word preached. You do that by participating and talking to one another about the Word, like in a community group, for example, this evening. You do that by reading and meditating upon God's Word. God uses His Word to bring us to life, and so you've got to search the Scriptures. But second, you also need to be searched by the Scriptures, right? You need to be still before God's Word. You need to use the gospel to humble yourself so that you can listen and receive God's Word with meekness. Third, you need to allow God's Word to redefine freedom for you. We have for so long, some of us, just sought freedom the way our culture seeks freedom, a life free of any restraints, and the result for us has been terrible slavery. Do you want to be free? You need to find the freedom of coming to God through Jesus, set free in His grace to do and be what you were made to do and be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the time we have had to be beneath Your Word this morning. Father, we thank You that You are so kind that You would not leave us in the dark, but that You would give us Your Word as a light unto our feet. And Father, we pray this morning that You would lift our eyes to see the ultimate light, Jesus. Father, we pray that You would so kindly reveal to us this morning our brokenness,
Reveal to us your grace. Remind us that we had nothing to do with our birth. That it was all by your grace. And Father, we pray that you would help us. That you would rid our hearts of of their deep pride. And that you would humble us before your word. That we might receive your word with meekness. And Father, help us by your grace to practice your word in order that we would be set free to do and be what you made us to do and be. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.